1: Welcome into the latest episode of the 5 Reasons Podcast. I'm Ethan Skolnick here as always with Chris Winningham. Now that you found us, make sure you hit the subscribe or follow button on your favorite podcast provider. That way you'll get all of our old episodes, including our Dwayne Wade tribute episode and all of our new episodes as soon as they post. Also type in 5 Reasons Sports to that podcast provider. You'll get the other 14 episodes podcast in our network. Miami Heat beat did their own Wade tribute yesterday. Three yards per carry is I think on episode three of their five pre-draft episodes and then they're going to have another one right after the draft and also chamber podcast is taping with Brandon Marshall this week which should be a good episode and Joel Quenville the new coach of the Florida Panthers was on with Goldie on ice. So we've got all the Big names on our podcast today, Chris and I are going to do something that we've done a lot on our new website, five That's spelled out F I V E reasonsports.com, which is, we're going to go over the heat and we're going to get into what they did this season. There's been obviously a lot of celebration about Dwayne Wade over the past week. And I think it's obscured a little bit. The fact that the season was a complete disappointment. So we tried to separate the two by doing the Dwayne Wade, very positive tribute episodes, And now we're going to get down and dirty, (laughs) Chris, (laughs) uh, exactly what happened. But we're going to do it as we did it last year. And you can still find that episode, which is why I decided to do this again. Uh, We're going to we're going to grade everybody. And I, I think 82 games is enough of a sample size team didn't make the playoffs in a week conference or at least a week middle to bottom of the conference. And, you know, we're, we, we should be preparing for playoff episodes like we did last year. And somehow this team managed to finish behind teams that are not all that overwhelming, like Orlando, Brooklyn, Detroit, and even, you know, an way behind an Indiana team that didn't have its best player for two thirds of the season. So Chris, let's start here. Um, before we get into the grades, we can do a couple minutes of sort of positivity. Your takeaway from the last two nights of Dwayne Wade.
2: Yeah, I I, I kind of find interesting that I think a lot of people were bracing to cry um, and that they're like, oh, I'm going to cry, I'm going to cry. And I basically, I, I've spent the, the last two nights just overwhelmed by – joy and most importantly laughter like the fourth quarter of that game um in uh on on Tuesday night uh against against Philly when UD is going one-on-one against Greg Monroe and you know Dwayne Wade's trying to get on the ball and he's throwing up bang shots from five feet behind the line that go in and then last night gets a triple-double and LeBron's running around I saw video this morning from Will Manso of Eric Spolstra violently fist-pumping after uh, Udonis Haslam made that jumper to give Wade the triple-double and and just like I've I've spent the whole time laughing and having fun with it, so I, I think it's kind of interesting to see everyone kind of emotionally process it differently. But if if we're in it for moments, and and I, I you know particularly Leif in our network um, has really been after these moments all year long. That was a moment. That was a moment. I mean, the last two nights was just chock full of them. They're they're the ones that will remember from the season, and they do actually leave the season with that feeling of positivity. Like, it's strange that they've been eliminated from the postseason and there were morose press conferences by some of the players, but... I think most Heat fans are leaving the season with an overwhelming sense of joy, which is kind of the power of these retirement tours and the power of the figures involved. Well, and wasn't
1: that the point, right? I mean yep. that and that was the point from an organizational perspective too, which as I've said, Dwayne Wade has been the squirrel all season. You know, look at the squirrel. You know, don't look at what's actually <laughs> happening with the team. But the squirrel's pretty great and the squirrel, you know, was great up until the end and I mean he gave you his first triple double since 2011. I couldn't believe that that it's been 8 years since he had a triple double and he wanted it. I mean he was you know he look he was on tape yesterday and obviously they were recording him and he's like I want the triple double and why not because you know, Dwayne, you, you know, life talks about moments. That's something Dwayne has said to me for years. It's always been for him about chasing moments. And how could he have possibly had more moments than he had in his last two games? And look, I was wrong. I didn't think he should play in Brooklyn. Then we heard he wouldn't play very much. He played 37 minutes. Um, you know, it's, I mean, he played 72 minutes back to back at the end of his career. And what's a better testament to him than a guy who could not stay healthy during the Big Three era, playing 72 minutes on a back to back? and giving you 30 and then a triple-double on the last two nights of his career. What could be better? The only thing I could think of that could be better is, and this struck me last night, look at how his teammates reacted to him. Look, this is not Dwayne Wade's favorite team, obviously. It wasn't his most successful team. Uh, it. A lot of these guys, you know, look, they had success before he came back, right? The 30-11 and 11 run was prior to him. Like, they've been basically, I mean, if you look at the last two years now, They've been a 500 team over yeah. the last two years. Um, they've been a 500 well, really, over team over the last years. three years, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, and, and so, you know, the, the look, I don't know what he thinks personally of James Johnson and Dion Waiters, but it sure seemed like he liked them, and it sure seemed like they liked him. I mean, they're not Quentin Richardson to him, and they're not Darrell Wright to him, and they're not Udonis Haslam or Mike Miller or some of the guys that he got really close to over the years. But... I will say this about Dwayne, and this is a testament I probably should have made to him on the podcast we did prior to his last home night. I've never heard a teammate say a bad thing about him. Never. Uh, 16 mm-hmm. years. Like, I think there was some of that in Chicago. Yep. Chicago and
2: Cleveland, I would say, but, but here,
1: but here that didn't really happen. No, it, it did not happen. I never heard it. I never heard. I would hear sometimes some of the role guys would be like, yeah, there's rules for D and there's rules for everybody else. Right. But never to the degree that like you would hear that in LA about Kobe. Right. <laughs> like, right. like, I mean, I'd hear it a little bit. And then when LeBron was here, it was, well, D kind of does the right thing. There's rules for LeBron and rules for everybody else. Like, uh, you know, and I think that's an incredible Testament. Look at the reaction to him from young players that, were, that he never played with, but also to the guys on his team. Because, look, this had to be, and we're going to get into this, this had to be a sort of a frustrating experience for a lot of his teammates this year. right? It, it was never about them. And and Dwayne said that Tuesday night. He said, this season was basically about me. It was never about them. It wasn't about them in training camp. It was about getting one of Dwayne's friends on the roster. right? It was about getting Jimmy Butler, who he exchanged a jersey with on Tuesday night. And it was about them getting traded, not saying that Dwayne was trying to get them traded, but obviously, look, they wanted to make Dwayne's last year pretty special. It didn't turn out that way from a team perspective. Maybe Jimmy Butler would have made it that I don't think it would have been a great long term investment, but they'd probably be in the playoffs right now. Right. If they make the Jimmy Butler trade. And so it's never been about them the whole year. And it would be very easy for them to get jealous and to say enough of this, and I never heard that in there. All I see is like legitimate love from people like Justice Winslow and Bam Adebayo and Derek Jones Jr. And what also struck me Tuesday night was he gives a speech, and at the end he mentions Yante Maton, right? Yeah, like. That's Dwayne. Like, you know, I once asked him for a column. I wrote for bleacher, how many teammates he had. He guessed under, he had like 79. He said 79. I think it was 93 at the time. It ended up being over 150. Okay. Because of the guys that he had in Cleveland and Chicago. And I bet you, he remembers all their names. Like that's, that's Udonis does too. Like that's,
2: I, was, I I will admit though, I was a little scared for him. Once he embarked on naming everyone, I, I was thinking, Oh boy, Duncan Robinson's got to be sweating right now. Oh he, yeah. But he's, he's gotta Duncan Robinson to go. oh, got to be saying, Oh, come on. His last
3: lobs
1: last night, Chris. Got, <laughs> I, I I mean, I mean this is Dwayne Wade's last game and he's playing with a guy who's named after the two greatest stars in San Antonio Spurs history. <laughs> I, it, it was just I, it was it, it, it was surreal and it's just it's him man it's him in terms of there were always moments like every time he was counted out, he was counted out seasons before this or go back to the Indiana series in 2012. I wish we'd gotten Crean on the podcast. We tried. Uh, he just ran, got busy because obviously they were in the tournament. Uh, but he, he was there being interviewed last night. And then the other thing that struck me, Chris, before we kind of move on to, to this year's team was. That's the first time I've seen LeBron James smile in a long time.
2: He looked like he was having so much fun, like when when so he was when, when when the UD jumper went in, and he's like running up and down the baseline with Paul and Anthony. Like they looked like they were having such a ridiculous amount of fun.
1: And and the interview with Jason Jackson right back to old times, the video bomb of Dwayne yeah. there at the end where he made the face that, you know, our guys in our network, you know, kind of made into a meme when he was here, when he scrunches up his face and smiles like, man, he never should have left, man. I, I, I know he won <laughs> a championship. I know. I know that the heat were declining that last year and they'd gotten old. I know he was frustrated with Dwayne's knees. I know that his group, you know, wasn't happy with some of Riley's rules. I know that. You know, Savannah kind of wanted to get him out of here. I, there were a lot of reasons, okay, that, that he left. Uh, but And I know he won a championship for Cleveland and that the general public will say that's more important than the two he won in Miami. I get all that. Man, did he have fun here? He had fun here. Harlem Shake, okay. All the other things that they did, them dressing up for for Halloween and going to Nobu in the city, okay. All of them. Like there are so many examples of that. Like he had fun here. It got a little tired the last year, but that twenty seven game winning streak is probably the most fun LeBron's ever had. And I mean, I was looking back through my pictures last night, and I got pictures of LeBron in the mask and pictures, all of these things that we forget about, right? And he just looked – he was like, back to LeBron. Like, that's the LeBron that this market fell in love with, not the sort of – and he's never been this way with me, so I don't want to say this specifically. Personally, I have enormous regard for the way he's always treated me. But, I mean, you know, but he just hasn't looked like happy LeBron. Like, even when winning yeah. Cl- not, not like here. Like, it's – and I just wonder if if he had stayed, man, if he had trusted in them to fix it. Maybe they wouldn't have – Maybe Pau Gasol doesn't come. Maybe they don't get Kyle Lowry. Maybe Josh McRoberts can, you know, is Josh McRoberts. Okay. And Danny Granger is Danny Granger. I thought it was great last night. You know, who who's who's killing the heat last night? Shabazz Napier. And with LeBron in yeah. the building. Outstanding. Like, Outstanding. It, just, it, it was it was perfect um, symmetry and it just made me think like it would have been great. And then at the same time, the counter to that is if LeBron's still here, I don't know that this feels like this for Dwayne. Like, because
2: Dwayne had gotten overshadowed by LeBron by the end of that. Yeah, I, and, and they would have kept having success. I, I think the most important thing that happened to the latter end of Dwayne's career is that they missed the playoffs in 2015 and he got six months of rest. Like, yes, like he desperately needed that. I mean, as long as they were going to keep going to the conference finals and to the finals, he was never going to be able to recover from his knee thing. He needed a full offseason. I mean, unless, you know, he figures out in and of himself, like, you know, how to change his body and and, and, and work on it on the fly. Like, it's just, it's too much. Like, I... I as much as obviously there is a wish that LeBron would have stayed here, and he's in his ninth season here, and Dwayne Wade would have played here his own car- his whole career, there was a natural way that events transpired that just made sense. And I think that everything has kind of gone as it should have. As much as, obviously, the Heat fans would have preferred for LeBron to still be here and Dwayne to have been here his whole career, I think the whole pattern of events contribute to make last night special. LeBron having to come from Los Angeles to be with Chris Paul and Carmelo. Dwayne having to leave to then come back so that it could feel different, him making a return as opposed to him just being here the whole time. I think everything made total sense in, in in the way that events have transpired over the last five years,
1: yeah, and and amazing, huh? That Dwayne outlasted Carmelo because
2: I, I don't yeah. I don't know that Carmelo's ever going to play again. I mean, the, the the fact that they exchange jerseys after the game and Carmelo doesn't have a jersey to exchange, I mean, it, it's stunning. It's stunning. Yeah. How quick that fall was from, holy crap, he's going to OKC. That might be the third star they needed to. No one wants him. No one has wanted him for months. He's been available, and no one wants him. Do
1: you like my Twitter joke? Uh, It it was (laughs) a great idea. It was a great (laughs) idea to to give his last jersey to Carmelo Anthony because you know he won't pass it on to anybody. (laughs) Uh, Look, I mean, we've talked about Carmelo quite a bit. I mean, Heat fans wanted Carmelo early this year, at least some of the, the less rational ones. But, yeah, I, look, the whole thing, uh, you know, was perfect at the end. And then there was one comment which allows us to transition here that I was really surprised to hear Eric Reed say. Because Eric – look, Eric, I thought Eric had some great, great lines last night. He had one where he said, you know, you either grew up with Dwayne Wade or you grew old with him, which is just a terrific, terrific line. Uh, you know, I, I thought Eric was really on his game last night. But he said one thing that stunned me because just coming from this organization, he's been in the organization for obviously since the very beginning, right, like pre prepat but obviously he's been here for the whole thing with Pat. And he said that this season was not really, he actually said that this season was not about making the playoffs. It was about Dwayne Wade. Mm -hmm. And, like we've said that on this podcast, I've written that and got reamed by the organization for writing it, that they've half-stepped the whole season, that it was never really totally committed to making the playoffs. It was never committed to a tank. It was just kind of there, like just there. And, hey, Dwayne, buy jerseys. And and that's been what the whole year. And for Eric Reed to say it publicly, I was surprised. Because, Eric, look – Eric has opinions and sometimes he keeps them to himself, you know, and I was, I was a little stunned that he said that he must, I mean, there must be tacit understanding that that's the case because I don't think he would have said it otherwise. Well, and
2: it's also something that you can say after they've missed the playoffs. Right. right, I, right. I, I think I don't know we don't want the playoffs anyway. We, you know, like, right. Right. It's, it's, it's spin. Right. But, but at the same time, I, I really don't think that anyone will, rem- I mean, it's an eminently forgettable basketball season, this season is going to be remembered as Dwayne Wade's last season and there is no escaping. I mean even if they had made the playoffs and gone out in the first round, this is still the Dwayne Wade season. So in some respects the fact that they're not making the playoffs have made these last two nights even more special, right? Because you you have the finality of them being the end. So it's definitely something that you say because you've missed the playoffs and it's a pretty massive disappointment that they have, but at the same time and no one's really going to remember this in the long run, are they? Oh no, no more than anybody remembers Kobe's
1: last season, which was obviously much worse from a team perspective. And also Kobe dramatically took away from the other players on that team.
2: That sure. year. Dwayne
1: Dwayne has not, d- which is the that. real difference between Dwayne and Kobe at the end. Well, correct. And the personality difference, it is why Dwayne's a more likable figure, uh, uh, you know, and, and look, I mean, Kobe has his passionate fans are more passionate than any fans of any player in probably sports history. Okay. They are the Kobe stands are famous, but there 's more love for Dwayne. There was more sort of fear and respect for for
2: kobe. I, I think it 's
1: a different relationship.
2: This was love okay? it 's an admiration of the competitiveness right it's the you know and the resilience, it,
1: it, and, 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 the resilience and the openness and, and i think i mean if you look i mean look obviously forty five didn 't tweet about him um, you know <laughs> but, uh, but but forty two and forty four did and you know and and i mean just what came from various people, Mike Miller flying up there with his wife to be there, um, everybody else who was kind of in that building last night, John Legend being here that Tuesday. I mean, there's just was enormous outpouring, and, and I think it's kind of what Windhorse said on our podcast. Like, Dwayne, in a lot of ways, won the season. It's funny that one of the PA... Not, not Uptown Dale, and not uh, Irie, and not Mike Diamante, but somebody else there in in-game entertainment actually said that the other night. I'm thinking, he listened to our podcast with Windhorse. <laughs> uh, cause he said Dwayne Wade did, did, isn't going to win the championship, but he won the season.
2: We'll get back to today's episode in a second, but first I want to tell you about one of our new sponsors here in the 5 Reason Sports Network, and that is the attorneys at Seltzer Mayberg. Find them at That's onecalllegal.com. That's O-N-E, calllegal.com, or actually call 855 855- 5,000 Law LAW, they handle cases including but not limited to car accidents, slip and falls, and any personal injury matters. Additionally, if you mention five reasons, they will handle your traffic ticket for forty-four ninety-nine, with a new 15,000-square-foot office opening on I-95 in North Miami. They will handle cases all over South Florida. Call now with 24-7 service for a free consultation. OneCallLegal.com or 855-5000-LAW. The attorneys at Seltzer Mayburg, a proud sponsor of the 5 Reasons Sports Network. Let's get into the season, Chris,
1: and and let's break it down player by player here um, as quickly as we can, because I don't know that any one player is worth all that much time, to be honest. Sure. Um, but I, let, let's just do this quickly. Let's start with Dwayne. Um, I mean, I, I think to me it's an A- minus. Um, for him. I, I don't know that the basketball part was an a- minus. I think if you look at him, I think is a very solid B. He basically put up uh, numbers that he put up in 2013-14, if you look by minute. Uh, But uh, the other stuff to me, you know, gets it into that A area. So uh, to me, it's an A minus for Dwayne.
2: Yeah, it's an A plus plus for me. I mean, it's it's every emotional uh, heartstring that gets tugged on. These last two nights were incredible, Uh, and also from the basketball vantage point. I mean, for the year, finishes a a minus three. But I, I still think he was their most important player in fourth quarters, and most importantly, for a player going out who's no longer going to be playing basketball and i 've said this a million times it 's kind of been my my sort of talking point throughout most of the season it 's dwayne Wade going out, still playing well, still being needed by his team, still contributing in big moments, and still having Some of the recognizable things that you remember Dwayne Wade for throughout his his entire career. Again, we just mentioned that Carmelo Anthony is not on a team anymore, and that other players have gone out in some pretty humiliating. I mean, even Dirk Nowitzki, who's going out at the same time, he did play five more years, but this year. You watched Dirk Nowitzki, and you were made sad by just at times his ability to run up and down the floor. There was none of that with Dwayne, and and that that feel good alone for me is worth giving him a, a, a total and complete A plus for the year. All right, I'll give him an A. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> you All right, let, let let's go to the next guy here, uh, which is Josh Richardson,
1: which I think is a little more complicated. Sure. Uh, you know they they had a plan with Josh early this year, which was clearly to make him the guy. And I don't know if it's because that's what they saw in him or because they wanted to make him more marketable, particularly as they were looking at a trade potentially with Jimmy Butler, whether he was in, whether he was out. Um, I've always compared Josh Richardson to Eddie Jones. I actually think I'm the first one in the market to do that, that picked up steam afterwards. They just remind me a lot of each other in a lot of different ways. And Eddie was always better as the third guy than he was the first guy. Um, You look at Josh's final numbers. He he averaged, he led the team in scoring 16.6. He shot 35.7. Percent from three, which is very solid. 41.2 percent overall, which could use a bit of a bump, was good from the line. Averaged, you know, three and a half rebounds, averaged four assists, averaged a steal. I don't think he was as good defensively as he's been, but he carried a, a, a bigger burden. And look, this really surprised me. When I looked at the minute numbers, there's no one really close to him. He, he was at 34.8. Justice was second. At twenty nine point seven. So in terms of raw minutes, it's nearly
2: six hundred more minutes than anybody else on the team.
1: Right. He played a lot. I mean, he played seventy three games. He did miss some time at the end of the year, which I think hurt them. You you know, I'm going to I'm going to give him a B, Chris. I I think I I think what Josh's season was illuminating because I think now we've gotten to the point where we kind of know what he is. And he's going to be 26 years old next year. And I think we kind of know what he is. We know what his upside is. It's a very solid NBA player. It's not a lead guy. It's probably not a number two guy. I don't think we should expect a big breakout from him. But I think if he's this player for the rest of his career, he'll be a very valuable guy for them. So because of the tail off, because in terms of his shooting percentage, and as the season went on a little bit, a little bit defensively, I think I have to max him out at a B.
2: Yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to give him a C plus, which might seem harsh. But I think, again, particularly for what he was set out uh, to do um, from, from the beginning of the year, which is be a lead man, guy who's taken, I mean, look at the opening uh, box scores. I mean, multiple games of 20-plus shots. Um, and then as the year goes on, I mean, you look at his December numbers, his, Feb- his January numbers, his March numbers. All under uh, 40% from the floor, uh, struggling from three at times. And I think, to me, the thing that's most concerning going forward from him is that he's been a terrible fourth-quarter player. He, I mean, all kinds of mistakes, all kinds of turnovers and bad shots. And He has had decent moments in the clutch, but for the most part, is not a player that you can really trust at the end of the game. So from what was set out, this was kind of meant to be the season that allowed Josh Richardson to step on the platform and, and kind of carry the team going forward, Um, I I, I think it might be a bit harsh, but I I think that Josh Richardson failed to deliver. He's still averaging 16.5 a game, and the efficiency is decent, but I don't think he made the the, the step forward, and I don't think that if you put him on another good team that he would score uh, at, at this rate, because He's kind of being given the platform as as sort of virtue of not looter in a riot, but someone's got to get the team to 110 points. And Josh Richardson, by virtue of the minutes he was playing and the shots he was taking, was part of the way that they got there. I, I don't think he made a particularly sizable step forward this year.
1: Let's move to one of the veterans now. Third leading scorer on the team, 13.7 points per game. I, I'm almost of the mind to give Goran Dragic an incomplete for this year because he missed so much time. He played 36 games. Um, He did shoot, you know, 35% from three. There were some good stretches and some bad stretches, 41%. Overall, I, you know, I think it was a complicated season for Goran in a lot of different ways. You know, one obviously being out for so long, but then the emphasis of the team shifting so much to justice and him kind of having to find his way again. And I feel like for Goran, it's kind of been the story of his heat career. It's like, okay, Dwayne's here, adjust to Dwayne, particularly at the end of games. And then he gets a little run and then Dwayne goes away and it's Dragic and Waiters and, and we're going to make that work and that does work right and Goran played great particularly during that 30 and 11 run and then Dwayne comes back let's readjust to Dwayne and then okay we get hurt and we're going to go to Winslow and, and I just feel like you know there were times that Goran reminded you of who he is and who he still can be and I would like to see him stick around I would like to see him opt out take a team friendly deal if he can he loves Miami his wife loves Miami I think he's perfect to be a combo guard off the bench is he kind of you know he's going to be 33 years old next year he didn't play a ton early in his career but he's had some international competition which could break him down his body does break down at times I'd like to see him stay I love Goran Dragic but for this season if I'm gonna grade him I think as high as I can go is a B minus Chris maybe a C plus because they're just he just wasn't there enough and then when he was there all the numbers pretty much across the board were down and that adds to the fact that you have to hide him defensively more than you used to. So I'm going to say B-minus because I like him. I-, I hate to do that, but <laughs> I-, I I don't know. It- it's probably closer to a C-plus for this year.
2: Yeah, I-, I don't know how to grade him either because he's the reason that they didn't make the playoffs, but that's by virtue of injury. I think if Goran Dragic plays more in that middle stretch of the year, um, they wouldn't have had such a bad run and they wouldn't have missed the postseason. I think they would have won. I mean, how many more wins do they need to make the postseason? Three? I mean, I think you can say healthy Goran Dragic is probably worth two, maybe three more wins. And you're right in that conversation to to, to be there with Detroit and Orlando uh, to, to make it to the postseason. So I think that Goran Dragic being out is the reason he missed the playoffs, but he missed it because of injury. I mean, you, if you look at on a permanent basis, um, his assists were actually up. Uh, year over year, his rebounds were about the same. His scoring is a little down. His efficiency went went down, which is a concern uh, going forward. Taking more threes uh, on a permanent basis, but I mean, I, I I'll I'll go C plus, but just because. Goran Dragic uh, didn't. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll go higher than that. I'll go B minus. Um, and and just sort of say that with Goran Dragic healthy, they probably make the postseason. Yeah, they probably do.
1: And you know, I and I, I think he would have adjusted because he always adjusts. But I just don't think there was enough time. I, I you know, and and too many backcourt partners. We've talked about this mm-hmm. before the year. They had like twelve players who played the same position, and then by the end of the year, Ellington, Magruder, and, and Tyler Johnson were gone. Right. So it's like you know, and he's trying to adjust to all of this as kind of a non-traditional point guard to begin with, right? He's never been a high assist guy. And in fact, I think that's really interesting with this team. There is He was their assist leader at 4.8, but they had three other... Winslow was 4.3, Wade was 4.2, and Richardson was 4.1. I mean, it just speaks to, like, I guess you call that balance? Or when you look at their field goal percentages, which is Dwayne 43.3, Justice 43.3, Goran 41.3 and Josh 41.2. It's just like you had all the same player. Like it's, it's, it's right. I mean, across the board, like those are their four primary perimeter players. And they basically had the same season. Now we may, we may rank them a little bit differently because Wade, obviously, with the emotional effect and everything that he met, and Justice with the breakout and Richardson, a little bit of disappointment. But in reality, like the four guys had the same year. Like they're all B minus. Players At this stage, um, although as we transition, I'm going to grade justice a little higher. So here's justice Winslow uh, this year, you know, shot, as I said, 43.3%, 37.5% from three on 3.9 attempts. Now that's two seasons in a row. He's been at 38%. I mean, he can shoot. Yeah. Now. I, I mean, we just have to say it. It's too, no, it's not enormous volume. Um, but it's, was...
2: it's, it's enough to prove that it's not fluky though.
1: Correct. And and look, I mean, he had, he averaged, look, other guys, I mean, he averaged the same amount of three point attempts per game as Kelly Olenek, who who is known for three point shooting and he shot a better rate. Kelly shot 35.3%. He shot a little less than Tyler did when Tyler was here and Tyler shot 35%. He shot a higher rate than Goron, shooting just a little bit less than him. He shot a higher rate than Dwayne and he shot a higher rate than Richardson. He was okay. And this is amazing to me because I know we bang on Dion. He was the second best three point shooter on the team behind Dion waiters. And he was right with him because Dion was 37.7. Mm-hmm. So he can shoot. Now the free throw shooting still needs to get better and there needs to be more volume there. He, he shot 62.8%. From from the line, he's got to get that to 70 and he's got to get from two free throw attempts per game up to four. Which I think he's capable of. That's another thing about this team, man. If you look at their limitations, leading free throw attempt guy on the team was Josh Richardson and Dwayne Wade at 3.2 per game. I'm sorry, Hassan had 3.4. Okay, but he shot 44%. (laughs) So it's like they didn't get cheap points, right? Like they, They don't have anybody capable of getting them cheap points. I mean, this is where all the limitations, and this is where we'll get to Riley and Spolster later on. But you know that plays into it. But look at Justice's other numbers: 5.4 rebounds, 4.3 assists, 1.1 steal. He had a period of time; it didn't last, and then he got hurt. had a period of time where he was the best player on the team, I'm giving him a B plus. Um, I know our guys will say Justice better than that, and should be an A minus. I think there's another breakout coming, Chris, and I don't I don't want to give him an A A minus for what to me was kind of a very positive mini breakout that he had this year. I think I I know you have felt with him that there was not another level to get to that he wouldn't get to the level he's at right now. I think there's a level beyond this. I do. I, I think his confidence, some of the things he has said recently, which he has said for years, but he he has gotten his confidence back. I know he's talked about the issues he had with that. He said the other day he wants to be the guy. I don't know that he has the talent to do this, but he has the mindset. He wants to be the guy who is like Dwayne Wade that all the fans come out to see. He embraces that. He wants to be the face of the franchise. He will work on his game. I think he's going to be an all-star within the next two years. That's my belief on him. This was not an all-star season. I'm going to give him a plus.
2: I I will give him the same grade, um, although I I will kind of do so from a bit more negative of a standpoint. Um, First off... I think if we're looking at the season in totality, the breakout happens in, in December, which is more than enough time to turn things around. But if you look at the first 20-plus games uh, that he played, the Higo 9-14, and then and he never really found any regular run of form. He's shooting, you know, in November 35% from the floor, and uh, he's averaging 9 points a game with 3.5 assists and 5 rebounds. I mean, th- that was a run of the season when they're losing games to Atlanta, they're losing games uh, that they shouldn't really be losing. And um, and then the breakout happens and they're winning games. But even along the way, as they're winning these games and going on great runs, the bad losses on the year – Justice Winslow did not play well. I mean, you look at the loss uh, to Atlanta, 24-point loss away from home. You know, he's 6-of-16 six with 13 points. Uh, the loss at home to Chicago, 6-of-17 uh, with 14 points. Um, it, when, when these bad performances happen, Justice Winslow, even as he's running the team, isn't really able to drag Miami out of it, which is, again, that next step for for a player. Like, if you want to be the leader and you want to be, you know, the guy that, that that's putting the team on your back, you have to be able to lift even – you have to be able – to on your talent, win games that maybe the team performance uh, does not sort of merit, and so that that's a next step if if Winslow wants to be at that level. Again, my my thought is that he can be your third best player or fourth best player on a really good team, but he's never really going to be one or two because he just, for me, doesn't have enough talent from an offensive standpoint uh, to really do that. Now these next few years will determine that, but I I, I think that. Justice has obviously made a massive step forward I thought he was you know not more than a role player um and he's you know very very obviously uh stepped above that but at the same time I I think still that Winslow has many more steps to make he was going to be the player that he's talking about steps that I don't think he's going to make but still it was a massive step forward for him and I'll agree with you on your B+. We'll get back to our episode here in a second. But first, I want to tell you about a
1: great new sponsor of the Five Reasons Sports Network, and that is shipyourcarnow.com. These guys can move any car, boat, RV, motorcycle, or equipment anywhere you need worldwide. You have a business and need to ship freight or machinery? Call them. College moves, new car, used car, buying the toy you've looked at for a while? Call them. These guys can ship it all. So give them a call. Here's the number 1 800 264 4644 that's 1-800-264-4644 or visit shipyourcarnow.com backslash five reasons also make sure to mention five reasons on the phone i wish look i wish they'd I, they'd had this when i was going to college this would have been great for me i needed to get my car down from baltimore to florida i ended up taking the auto train you don't want to take the auto train ship your car fly no job too big or too small ship your car now Moves it all. We've had different perspectives on him. I don't know that he's ever going to be the best player on a great team. Uh, I think he could be second, potentially. I, I To me, that's – and I thought he could be third before this season. So I've come up a little bit. Um, and, and, look, I, obviously, I, I think he's embraced this. And I think having this touch of success, he's the type of guy. And he's got another couple months, too, because they're not making the playoffs. He he will work on his game. I think he will come back better. He fit, To me, it's not just a shooting. He finished so much better this year. And that once that happens, like then that becomes second nature. And I also think he more than anybody on the roster benefited from Dwayne Wade being back. I I just think there's, there's so much of Dwayne's game that you can see justice incorporating. And the biggest thing is justice now knows how to play slow. And that was, Dwayne's transition from ultra athletic Dwayne to old man game Dwayne. Dwayne mastered the art of playing slow, along with LeBron, and Justice is now, I think, is on his way with that, and that's a huge step. All right, let's move on to somebody else um, that, uh, to me, was a bit of a surprise this year. And uh, look, again, I get hit on for saying that you know Hassan Whites, you know, for, for picking at Hassan Whiteside's faults even though I did say that the heat should resign him when they did, and obviously that hasn't worked out all that well, but I will say this. Hassan to me was a very pleasant, positive surprise this year. I mean, it's not just the numbers, 12.3 points, 11.3 rebounds, 1.9 blocks, which is down a little bit, but the minutes were down 23.3 minutes shot 57% uh, from the field. I mentioned the free throw shooting has kind of not gotten back to where it was when he made some improvements, But he played 72 games. He missed some time for paternity leave. I thought when he came back from paternity leave, Chris, he came back different. Um, He was more engaged. And if you would have told me, this is one of my big disappointments about the season. If you would have told me that they got 72 mostly effective games from Dwayne Wade and they got a committed Hassan Whiteside who played hard most of the time and dealt with moving to the bench well which we did not anticipate was going to happen, and gave you, again, 12.3 points and 11.3 rebounds and 1.9 blocks while playing half the game, I would have said there's no way this team misses the playoffs. like Because I was not counting on them getting anything productive from Hassan. I- I'm giving Hassan a B-plus for this year. I-, I know that you know to put him ahead of, say, a Josh Richardson may not make a ton of sense because Josh was probably a more effective player overall. But in terms of the expectation game, in terms of what they thought they were going to get, what we thought we were going to get, what our Spolster probably thought he was going to get, I don't know that they recruit for that contract. I still think, look, when you have a reputation in league, you have a reputation. It's it, it's not, you're not going to erase it in a few months. But Hassan was good this year, and I just think we should acknowledge it. Uh,
2: I'm, I'm going to take uh, the completely opposite tact. <laughs> um, I, I'm, I'm going to be a lot more harsh because um, uh, he is a player that, uh, and, and you don't, Always measure players against their contract, but I'm gonna, but I'm gonna do it here. Um, if we talk, if we're talking about the misallocation of heat resources, he's making twenty five million dollars. Next year is a player option for twenty seven, and I don't think you can really give 25 million dollar players a for effort and as the year went along Bam Adebayo was better than him he's not even the best big man on the team you know and and look he, he didn't pout and I will certainly give him credit for that because he could have made the situation a lot worse but at the same time there are games in which he's taking what 5 minutes and and you know doesn't have a role to play because he he doesn't fit a particular matchup because he doesn't defend you know far enough out and, and Bam just does a better job when you're not the best big man on the team and you're making 25 million dollars in the last you know dozen games of the year never plays more than 24 minutes I mean, I mean, it's not even a dozen game. It's the last two months of the year. He hasn't played more than twenty five minutes since February. He's a role player, and I—that's I, not good enough for a player that's making as much money as Hassan Whiteside is. And look, that's not entirely his fault. But at the same time, if we're trying to you know put, you know figure out the issues with the team, I'm not someone that you know gets on Whiteside the way that other people do, where he should be—he shouldn't be dominant because the league is not built for him to be dominant anymore. But at the same time. It's a gross misallocation of resources, and he is not much more than a role player, and that's just not good enough for a player that makes his salary. I'm going to give him a C. All right, so we'll average out on that. I know people would be surprised by my selection there. I guess
1: because my expectation was an F, and it's just <laughs> and, no, but I, just after the way last year ended, like they yeah, the conversation that's, we that's true about one year ago, and it was like he was totally unplayable, and then you know all of a sudden he's playable now. Again, they they monitored.
4: Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.
1: Minutes, they you know Eric didn't play him during most of the fourth quarters, uh, but they got production out of him. And their rebounding was pretty good this year, and he was a big reason for it. So I, I understand the limitations defensively. I get it. You know he, he helps in a lot of ways, but then he hurts in others that Bam actually helps you. But I'm going to be kind on this one and uh, and maybe try to repair my reputation in that regard. <laughs> All right. Dion Waiters played 44 games. He shot 41% overall, 37.7 for three, which surprised me. That was actually best on the team. Uh, 2.6 rebounds, 2.8 assists. He was sixth on the team in scoring. Now, we've talked about this in a contract term. I, I, you know, look, I can't give Dion higher than a C, and here's why. Um, it's just, it, it, to me, it's an availability thing at this point. And, and it's also, and I know I'm being a little hypocritical here because I just said, you know, gave Hassan positive grades when this is an issue for Dion too, but he just doesn't seem to make them better, uh, when he's playing, like he'll have a little spree and, but then that'll cause him to take a bunch of bad shots. And even during the end of the season where I know Richardson was out, Winslow was out and they needed Dion a little bit more and he's chucking 12 threes a game. And that I'm not making that up. That's what he was taking. OK, for like a seven game stretch and he was making them at a pretty decent clip. And so fans were like, why are you getting them on him for this? But it just never looks right. You know, it just never looks right. It, it, it They're not in rhythm They're It's taking away from what other guys are doing. It's just his game is is not compatible with high end success. OK, and you can point to the 30 and 11 and say it was then and there were moments and no question his chemistry with Goran, but he just hasn't been available when he's been here enough to sort of win me over. I guess. Um, And a lot of that is on him. Like he didn't want to have the the ankle surgery before he got signed. He didn't condition himself. I mean, Eric Spolscher said something like, with three weeks left in the season, like Dion's starting to get into heat shape like now, like late March. I mean, you know, again, I I don't know if there should be such a discrepancy between what I grade Hassan and what I grade Dion. But to me, they got more out of Hassan this year than I thought they would. And they just not getting enough out of Dion to justify it. So that's where I'm going.
2: Yeah. Again, you can't give him much. You can't give too many positive plaudits when. You basically spent the year overweight, and any anyone who watch you could just watch him and see it. Um, at the same time, I, I think it's a bit harsh on him because I imagine it's pretty hard to you know work out at that level with a, you know a pretty significant foot injury. But at the same time, I mean it's unprofessional for a player, for a basketball player, to be out of shape, uh, and so hopefully he'll come back next year in in much better shape. And also, again, the contract thing—you've uh, got two more years of Dion Waiters. Um, and there's just no way around. If we're trying to figure out what ails the heat, um, he, he is going to be a big problem for them uh, to figure out how you're getting off of his salary because it's just it's too onerous. He makes too much money for a player who doesn't provide nearly enough value for it, so really the only thing you can do is hope you you know see him in better shape and... Just if it's ten percent less taking the heat out of the flow of their offense, which is which I think is what you're saying. I mean, over the last month of the year, those threes are getting jacked up. And look, the Heat were better with when he was on the floor. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna give him too much you know too much stick for it. But at the same time, you're right. It just doesn't look correct when he's jacking up three after three after three after three. I mean, it's ludicrous, the number that he was taking. But if he hits him at an efficient enough clip, I guess it's worth it. And Eric Spolstra wants the Heat to take as many threes as they can. But at the same time, I mean, there's some staggering numbers from him. And he is part of what ails the Heat. So C- minus for me. You know, it was different when Wayne
1: Ellington was taking that number of threes because those are possessions that are being run for him. But with Dion, it's like he's running the possession, right? Like it's, it's just he takes it over and everything that was going on before stops. And I, it's just it's just it's hard basketball to watch. Like you said, his numbers were surprisingly good in terms of the on off. I'll give him a C. I'll be a little bit more generous than you. Um, we don't need really to get into the next guy on the list, Tyler Johnson. He's not here anymore. Wayne Ellington, uh, it's Wayne Ellington season in the playoffs right now. We can skip the two of them. Uh let's go to and, and Rodney am Ronnie McGruder is not here anymore. So let's go quickly through uh let's see, four other guys, okay, and, and quick grades on these. Kelly O'Linick. Um, I, I'm gonna say a C plus on him. Hmm. Uh and, and and here here's why. I, I some of the numbers just tailed off a little bit. And he has to be good offensively because you have to kind of hide him defensively. I don't think a lot of it was his fault. I think his January uh, was largely the team's fault. The fact that he was averaging 16 minutes a game. They were trying to suppress his minutes. It was pretty clear. He does make them better when he's on the floor. He did play 79 games. so He was healthy because those games, I think two of those three, maybe even all three were were DNPs uh, that they decided on. It wasn't because of him. But, look, he doesn't rebound enough and defend enough if he's going to shoot 35% from three. I mean, it sounds like a small thing, but he needs to be closer to 37, 38, a little bit more consistent there. I like Kelly Olenek as a player. I don't have a problem with the contract. I think they should figure out a way to make it work better with him with some of the dribble handoff stuff that they were doing before uh, in a little bit more volume. But I'm gonna say I'm gonna say C plus, and then I'm gonna kick myself because you know I prefer a Linux to Whiteside as a player, but I just graded Whiteside higher. But I, again, everything with me is kind of relative to expectations. Sure. And, and Kelly didn't; he was a little bit worse than he was the year before, and I, I think uh, to me that's enough to kind
2: of grade it down from maybe B minus to C plus. Uh, for me, he's a B plus. Uh, he facilitates them winning. Um, he is a player that just. For me makes the whole thing work. I think I think Kelly O'Linick when he's on the floor is one of the few sort of compatible, is, is, uh, compatible pieces, right? No matter who he's on the floor with, no matter what lineup, you're not really trying to figure out, well, who's he going to play with? Um, I think he could play as the five, although you're, you're suffering for defense. He can play as the four, and you're suffering for defense. But there isn't a player that you can him with, oh, that that doesn't make sense. And I, I, every team, to me, could use Kelly Olynyk and, and his skill set and what he can do, and that kind of makes him the most tradable. And so I, I, I if I were the Heat, I would explore that, uh, particularly with two years left on his deal. Uh, try and figure out if there's a team that can look at Kelly Linick and say that's the kind of player that we need like to me, he'd be perfect on Golden State. Like, I, I think he makes total sense uh, playing with that team and, and, and sort of go- going into the flow of things. And I, I think he can fit into most teams in the league, and he helps Miami win. And I, th- I think they were unfair to him, both in terms of the role that he's being asked to play uh, with you know, being the third big on this team. I think you know he, he could probably do more with a second big role. And then the fact that his minutes are being jerked around because they're trying to get under the luxury tax. Like, I think um, Kelly Olenek had, right, had a right to be cynical about the way that he was being approached by this heat team and the way that his minutes are being approached by this heat team and so uh, i i can understand some slip ups in other areas but for me he's a b plus player
1: yeah maybe i'm being unkind all right i'll grade him up to a b minus why not you convince me all right (laughs) let's go to bam out of bio um and, and here's the thing that sticks out with bam 82 games um, he's mm. the only guy on the team who did it. He was available. He shot 58% from the field. He averaged 7.3 rebounds, which was second on the team to Whiteside. That number kept going up as the year went on. Um, I'm giving Bam a B+ for this season. I I, I know that there's more there. Um, he averaged 23 minutes, but you look at the numbers and you start. I've made this comparison before, but look at Capella's first couple of years and you see Bam trending exactly the same way. And I actually think there's more there. I, I think some of his movement stuff whether it's as a defender, you know, switching out his ability on the break. Okay, not only to bring the ball up, but to get the ball on the break and do something with it is not something that all bigs have. I think you have to, and his attitude is terrific. I, I think that you have to be incredibly encouraged about him. I know you and I both don't think there's a player you can build around on this team. There are players you can build with. He's a player you can build with. I'm giving him a B plus.
2: I agree. Um, I, I'm actually going to give him an a-. I, I think he's a player uh, that, that you can build with. Um, Showed skills for me that I didn't know were there. I mean, particularly from a ball handling standpoint, um, really impressive uh, from Bam Bam on a bio. Finishing near the rim, and while that might seem obvious for a big man, um, it's not always. uh, Particularly, I mean, I'm just sort of looking around the league players who live around the rim. I mean, Andre Drummond was at 60% compared to Bam at nearly 68%. Um, You know, Clint Capella is in that territory. Gobert, Harrell, he's an elite finisher uh, near the rim. And, And you can also see teams hunting out. Out how to get uh, Bam out of, of the ball near the rim and that's actually something that his teammates need to learn from Dwayne Wade because Dwayne Wade did that with him uh, quite a bit so I think Bam just in terms of what he's developed into his development is going very well and also from where they took him I remember on draft night um I I, I forget who I was listening to i it, it was someone, one of the draft analysts on ESPN Radio, and I was really talking myself into BAM after after listening to the analysis. I remember there was some, wait, we have Whiteside, we have olinic This is precisely why, particularly when you're picking at 13, uh, you don't worry about need. You just worry about how it works. And look, it hasn't always been comfortable uh, with Whiteside and with olinic but that was a great draft pick. And his development is well on his way to being uh, a Clint Capella type, being a, a big that fits in the modern NBA can defend uh, out, out to the perimeter as well. I really like what Bam is becoming uh, a minus for me. And uh, at, at the same time, I don't think he's a build around player. I think he's a build with player, but that's difficult to find at times. I think the heat have found their 2019 NBA big in Bam out of bio.
1: Yeah, no, I'm, I'm a big fan of his and, and I, I, his work ethic's terrific. And I just think he'll come back he's going to get better. There's no question. And, and I would not move him. I, I to me, I would be more inclined, and I, I'm not a fan of moving Justice, you know that, but Bam's the untouchable on this team. I, I just think it's harder to find that, the modern big, than it is to find kind of what Justice does. And, you know, I think once they settle on a position with Justice, I may feel differently because I do think some of his early struggles early in the year is because they were still playing him out of position. But I, I, I'm just – I'm very big on Bam's future. All right, two guys real quick here. Um, James Johnson, to me, is a D. I, I just think, you know, we're putting Fair things enough. in the – context of contracts Chris uh, you know 15 million dollars maybe it's not his fault I, I know he you know it, it's taken him a while to get back into the kind of shape I know he gives effort Um, but I mean you're just not you're just not better with him on the floor like there before they traded Ellington like it was basically James Johnson and Ellington who had you know your numbers crashed when they played and they kept playing him they kept playing him with Magruder as starting forwards all year long and or for most of the season and he just doesn't make you better i know we saw flashes of it and you know in 16 17 and you know there was a period of time there particularly when they put him in the starting lineup late in the year he played really well you could do a lot of things with him his skill sets they have on this team already he had some moments down the stretch he's playing big minutes against toronto at the end he made a three but it's nothing personal i just I, you know it's a problem contract Um, and, and, and to me, it's a problem contract and unlike Whiteside, you know, where you got 72 games there and you got, you know, 11.3 rebounds, you know, James Johnson averaged 3.2 rebounds this year in 21 minutes. And he was the starting power forward for a lot of the year. I mean, he started 33 games. That's not insignificant. He's playing a position where you got to be able to grab rebounds and he doesn't. And so he, to me, he's a situational player. He's what Toronto was using him as before he came to Miami which was remember during that playoff series in 15-16 he was out of their rotation and but he played situational minutes like you know against wings and he played I remember against LeBron that next series because he had value against LeBron but you're paying 15 million dollars for basically a utility infielder like it's 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 not good it's a D
2: yeah and I mean you look at actually his career averages they're almost exactly in line with his career averages and that's Sort of the point of what happened in 2017 is all these guys played above their heads for a three-month period, and the Heat uh, rewarded them as if this was who they are now, and that the Heat were going to be a team that can win a lot of games with these players as the core of it, and it's just a shockingly terrible idea. It is so bad to have thought that in 2017. Those wins were so corrosive for their perceptions of themselves, and I think you're seeing the ill effects of it, and James Johnson kind of embodies that, and again... Next year makes fifteen point three million dollars. A year after makes sixteen. It's just a complete train wreck, and and I I don't think I I feel bad for James Johnson because again not a bad guy, uh, not someone you know who's you know c- culturally corrosive or anything like that. Just it's it's a bad contract to have, and uh, and I think. It only gets worse from here because he's going to be 32 next year. He was kind of an, a, a a mediocre player at, you know, in his prime years. Now he's getting older. He's coming off a of significant sports hernia uh, surgery that kind of limited him this year. I don't know if he's ever going to really be that peak physical specimen he was in 2017. And now he's getting older and that contract's getting more expensive. It's just a complete disaster. Yeah,
1: D may be kind mm-hmm. here, but I'll, I'll try to be kind. All right, let's go to the last guy. Uh, by the way, has them. A. We don't
2: have to talk about him. B uh, <laughs> How many plus, minutes? Did, how, how many minutes did he finish with, by the way? Because he went into the last two games uh, having only played 32 minutes for the year. Uh, he uh, played. Se- well, he ended up with 74. So he, okay. he ended up with with so 74. He played, he played 42 his last two nights. That's funny. It, it's not. It's not
1: about the numbers. It's about the fact that he signed my daughter's uh, UD
2: jersey. <laughs> Do you keep him? I mean, I, like, I, my question I, is I, I, forever. Is, Forever, forever,
1: forever, (laughs) Outlast everybody. I love you. I I just wish he had announced he was retiring. So we could have celebrated him. Like uh, this was weird. Do we know he's retiring? I don't know, but he has (laughs) intimated it, but he's intimated it like various times during the season. He even retweeted an article. I think he, I forgot. I think he did with Alex Kennedy with somebody where he basically said this was his last year, but then over the past two months, I feel like he's backtracked. I've had this conversation with him so many times over the years. Like, I feel like it's like eight summers. Like he's, is he coming back or not? Uh, you know, he's like Brett Favre. I, I, you know, look, I just want him around. So that, that's look, if, all, he's, I mean, if he's going to nail those mid-range jumpers like he did last night. I mean, I well, feel I like mean, he, he can stare at forever. Pick and pop. I mean, he, he and Dwayne Wade, JCC. OK, year 2048. They're going to be Took 17
2: him. shots against Brooklyn. That's outstanding. Oh, so I great. love that.
1: So, so great. Took the threes. We love you. D. All right. Derek Jones, Jr. Last one here. Uh, I'm going to give Derek Jones, Jr. A B. And again, this is based on expectations. They have a playable player. And I didn't know that Derrick Jones Jr. was that. Certainly Phoenix didn't think he was that. He played 60 games. I thought they were hurt by his absence, actually. Um, he gave him 14 starts. He started, he shot 50% from the field. Look, he's got to become a better three-point shooter. We, we had him on the pod, and he said, I feel like I'm a knockdown shooter now. I mean, he shot 30.8%. So that, that, if he could become a 35% three-point shooter on two to three attempts a game, like he averaged one5 Like that makes him a totally different player because to me, the big progress with him was defensively this year. Like he was playable defensively in a lot of different ways and particularly in the zone. Um, He's not at the level of their other three, but he's also, you know, he's a lot younger than Josh. I mean, he's four years younger than Josh. I I was very pleased with what Derek Jones Jr. Provided this year. I'm going to give him a B. I'm
2: going to give him an A. Derek Jones Jr. Is why you don't pay James Johnson the Heat can do this now they're good at player development they're good at finding players in the G League and on the periphery of other teams rosters Derek Jones Jr. turned as you said into a rotation player by the way also responsible for 95 percent of the Heat's on court highlights this year in terms of if you're doing a season montage Derek Jones Jr. dunks might be one of the reasons you turned on your television to watch Heat games this year why, why you might continue to turn games on and He'd have found another player. They just keep doing this. They find players. This is what they're good at now as an organization, and now they just have to pair them with the stars because Derrick Jones Jr. is exactly the kind of player. Can you imagine if they found Derrick Jones Jr. in the middle of the Big 3 Heat era and you just threw him in there and he could have played? Or if they had found LeBron. Rodney Magruder in oh the Big God. 3 Heat era? Or, I mean, taking on and on and on and on.
1: Oh, my God. Well, LeBron from Mario might have killed him, but taking LeBron... <laughs> Take, take taking lobs from from LeBron and Dwayne. That's one of the sad things about the big three era before we transition is that they stopped with that. They, they didn't. Mm-hmm. They, they went. They had done it really well over the years. Anthony Carter, Bruce Bowen, Ike Austin. I mean, on and on and on. Millie Gallen, Mike James. I mean, they, they found all these guys that were playable players. Every uh, tons of them. All of them. Like there were like 15 guys. Udonis Haslam. Right. Um, Joel Anthony. Like they kept finding these guys. And then during the big three era completely stopped. Like they just they did no development and they didn't have draft Picks. And and maybe it's because they thought that those guys wouldn't be ready to play with the big three, mm-hmm. particularly with LeBron. But uh, yeah, Norris Cole kind of, did. I mean, well, Nor, no, but Norris they had the draft right. They had the trade. No, but he, I mean, he's, a, he's a late first round draft pick that yeah, they turned no, into exactly, a playable player. They stopped and they tried with Terrell Harris. They tried mm-hmm. with Mikel Gladys. Those guys were not at the level it was uh, of...
2: it, it really was and this is not surprising that Pat Riley you know has basically said we're going to be an all veterans organization instead of using that last roster spot on you know on on one of these young players i'm going to go try and see if Greg Oden can turn into something again well, well, cuz well, he has experience
1: Chris, the, the, the obvious one the i mean the, the one that stands out is is Eddie House over Patrick Beverly. mm-hmm Right, yeah. because I mean, Patrick Beverly, they wouldn't have had to draft Norris Cole. Like if, if they had, they could have used that draft pick on Draymond Green. Okay, yep. I mean a lot of things are different. What what if Beverly and Draymond Green are on that roster with the big three?
2: <laughs> First off, can you imagine those two personalities in the oh, same god. locker room? Would oh my god! What have been? Oh
1: Beverly Draymond with LeBron? Would have
2: been oh my god! But, Nud like, yeah, UD But and UD
1: but Beverly would have been a perfect. I mean, as as a as a yeah. defensive. Uh, point guard off the bench and he's he
2: supersized game. Chalmers right Patrick uh, Beverly
1: it, it, it would have been they would have pushed each other in practice it would have been great because Norris Norris a good player but a really nice kid like Patrick Beverly has dog in him like it was it would have been you know but look they, they made decisions they kept Eddie House Eddie House gave me a great quote middle fingers to the haters uh, at the very <laughs> beginning and, so, and and for the fact that Spolster had to go to him after not playing him for two months and like oh we unleashing a house to the finals like it's just uh, you
3: know th- that's kind of where they were you're listening to the five reason sports network we've created a menu of intelligent and entertaining content on demand for commutes workouts and more and by now you're already familiar with the 15 different podcasts in our network Today, we are proud to announce the premiere of our brand new website, FiveReasonsSports.com. On it, you'll find columns from more than a dozen of our hosts, many who are professional writers in the market. Watch original videos from shows like Miami Heatbeat and Balls Cast. Browse our full merchandise shop. And unlike other outlets in the area, there's no paywall. Everything is absolutely free. All of this from a network that's credentialed from all five major sports teams in South Florida. Oh yeah, did we mention that it's free? We're By Miami for Miami. We're sports on your schedule. We're Miami Sports On Demand. We're the 5 Reasons Sports Network. Go to FiveReasonsSports.com today. All right, let's
1: go to these other two guys. And I, I don't want to dwell, Chris, because we've, I mean, we've spent how many podcasts on these two things? Yep. Um, I, I got to give – this is not a career achievement award. Career achievement, Pat Riley's in the A bracket. But for this year, and it's not anything he did the last offseason because there wasn't anything he could do. And it's not about the Jimmy Butler trade that didn't happen because you can only go so far, okay, with Tibbs and with everything else that happened. But Pat Riley gets a
2: D for me this year. I agree. Uh, because he put them there. I, I, he put them there and I think the Heat fans were waiting for the magic wand that never came. Right. right. And that's and that's almost the, the the more disappointing part is well, Pat Riley's just gonna figure this out. And I think you saw a lot of the fans just sort of encounter the sobering reality that, oh no, there is no fixing this. There is nothing that he can do with this team that can turn things around, that can change their fortunes quickly. And I think now that evidence only that evidence can be put to the fore now that dwayne Wade 's no longer here, as you said uh, to be that squirrel to 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 sort of distract everyone 's attention. What happens now what, what What magic can he pull off as the Godfather Pat Riley to fix this because I mean I thought it would have been you know r- repetitive, redundant, and awful for them to make the playoffs as the seventh seed and go out in round one now you're not even a playoff team now I mean did, did Charlotte finish above them in the standings I mean they're they're the 10th best team in this conference I mean it's it's shocking how far that they've fallen and the fact that Pat Riley had to go the entire year and the only moves that they made were getting off of Ellington and Tyler Johnson and Rodney Magruder so they can get under the luxury tax I mean it's appalling like it, it's really poor that just could do nothing to turn this around I mean I'm not going to Say that it's Phoenix bad where you've just been bad for seven years, you know, Sacramento bad where, you know, being, you know, close to the playoffs is a win for them. So I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to call it an F because that's truly terrible management, but it's, you're right. It's a D season from him. Yeah, it's a D season. And, and look, I, I, you know, he, he needs to over this
1: next week. And then there's going to be an end of year thing. It may even be as soon as this Friday, I'm expecting it'll be Monday. He needs to come clean on it. Like just just say, look, I, and not worry about offending the guys on his roster. Just like, look, we're going to fix this. We have a plan. He's got to be very explicit with his plan. Like, like I said, like what uh, one, one last dance is over. Okay. This is one last chance for this front office. Like nobody should be fired. Nobody should be reassigned. Nobody should be retired. Okay. They deserve another run at this.
2: But I, I I guess my question is, what's his lifeline? I, to me, his lifeline is Hassan Whiteside opting out. That's the only thing that can happen. That that that, that or, or in Goran well, Dragic you, too. You don't, you don't
1: think they tried to do that by starting Bam the second half of the season? Like and, and me,
2: I mean, me? and I, I reported that Hassan, you know, it said he's considering it. I mean, his agent, yeah. his agent's got to tell him, uh, no. But uh, but yeah, I mean, if, if is, that's he, his he, only he lifeline, is an Anthony Carter type mistake.
1: Yeah, his his uh, right. And right. And his agent I, I, is his agent's not going to I can just tell you his agent's going to protect him in that regard. So it, it's it. We'll see where it goes. But uh, yeah, it wasn't great. All right. Final one here. And I know there's a lot of debate, um, not just outside our network, but surprisingly inside our network, Chris. I do think our network is full of um, Eric Spolstra supporters. And, you know, I've you know obviously been one since 1996. And then when he got the head coaching job and then when I thought he shouldn't get fired uh, when they brought in, you know, LeBron in 2010, when he could have been, he's acknowledged that to me. And then when they were nine and eight and everybody wanted him fired, I didn't think he should be fired. And he thought he could get fired then. He wasn't. And I thought that was the right decision. And then after the 2011 finals where people were calling for him to get fired, and even though I didn't love the, you know, wait to play Mario until game five or playing Mike or make game six or playing Mike Bibby. I get it. It was about LeBron more than it was about that or anything else. And so I've always supported Eric Spolster. I think he's an elite coach. I do. Um, I think this was, and I, I may be generous here. I think it was a C minus season for him. I, I don't think again, it was all his fault. I've outlined the excuses, not, I call them explanations on this pod, you know, his players are all getting traded during the early in the season, which couldn't have been easy. He has guys on his roster who have big contracts that surely management and ownership want to play. They've got to try to showcase him. He may have wanted to play the kids a little bit earlier. You know, Kelly O'Linick, you've got that situation we talked about, guy that he clearly likes as a player. And here you're trying to suppress his minutes for, for tax purposes. I get all of it. He looked He looked exhausted and frustrated to me, okay, until the last week. It's like he got totally rejuvenated and started having 20 minute press conferences because he loves Dwayne and he loves what that was about. And he's incredibly sentimental. Like Eric Spolcher is a very sentimental person. I can speak to this personally. He may not be, you know, uh, always so comfortable with human interaction in some ways players will talk to you about that. He's non-confrontational like to the nth degree, but he is a sentimental person and he was sentimental about Dwayne and he was happy about the Dwayne thing. And I it felt a little bit like at the end, like the whole season was just an afterthought for him, too. I know it wasn't. I know the effort he put into it, but it felt like that. It was like, OK, Dwayne. And one thing he said to me, I always come back to when he was going through the struggle with the big three early on and then it started to get better. They went on that 21 out of 22 run. And I remember us being in the court in Phoenix and my family was out there. And so I stayed on the court a little bit longer that night. He was there talking to family and we just started talking. And he said, you know, in 25 years, I'll be able to say I coached this team. Like, he processes things that way, okay? And that's how he processed it. And so he'll process this, right? He'll process this. It just didn't work out and all the rest. But uh, we got to be honest. Like, with all the things that were up against him, it took him forever to find a workable rotation this year. Once they find it, injuries kind of killed it because Richardson and Winslow went out. But until I know 100% for sure what decisions were forced on him, I have to take it, you know, at face value that he made a lot of them. And a lot of them just weren't good, like James Johnson and Rodney McGruder starting for that length of time. Like you can say that I know he kind of snapped back at reporters about this because he said, you know, when the numbers started to really tail off there, he's like, well, they were really good a month. You know, last month they were great. And they were. We talked about that. They were better. But he had a lot of moving parts. He had a lot of the same players as we've talked about. I mean, it was an impossible roster to manage. But he's Eric Spolstra. We put him in the same class as a Greg Popovich or a Rick Carlisle or some of the or a Mike Budenholzer or some of the better coaches in the game. He has to rise above a little bit, and he didn't. And so for that, I say, I was thinking C.
2: It's C or C minus. I can't go higher than that. I agree. Um, and I to me, you look at. Uh, Just first off, the number of lineups that played more than 10 games, it's 11. Um, The number of lineups that played more than 80 minutes, it's two. Um, And you just don't see any cohesion with this team. And again, some of that is the roster build, but it makes no sense to me that the only move that they made in the offseason was to bring Wayne Ellington back and bring Dwayne Wade back. And it's the same team. You have the ability to just basically literally run everything you did back from the year before and just do it a little bit better, and they still took 60 games to really figure out their best combination. The fact that they're playing the 2-3 zone in important games and watching as Toronto and Boston rip them apart from the 2-3 zone, that's the opposite of culture, that's the opposite of everything that is the bedrock philosophy of this organization. And I I I agree with you. I just think that when you can't find the right combination um, as as a coach of a team that is entirely has entire continuity from the year before, I mean that's a poor job from the coach. And and I think that there were, you know, rotation decisions was a bit late to realize things that, I mean, Nikaias Duncan was writing about. I mean, if, you know, if one of our writers can see things before you can, and look, he's very smart, Nikaias but he shouldn't be smarter than Eric Spolster at times, but he saw things, you know, before Spolster did. And it, it just, it, there were decisions this year that made no sense. The 2-3 zone for me, I, I'm never going to let that go. I mean, it was just ridiculous that you're playing with a 2-3 zone uh, in some of the most important moments of the year and just not figuring out the rotation it was poor and and I think that Eric Spolstra um, is you know, one of the reasons that he didn't make the playoffs for not figuring out this team. And look, and as you said, this team is difficult to figure out, but it's his job. And one that he gets a lot of praise for doing on a regular basis, and one where people say that Eric Spolster is one of the best coaches in the league and and, and deserves to be you know respected at that level, and he just didn't do anything to merit that this year. Yeah, and I think as I talk about like the guys in our network, like we
1: have people who are big Eric Spolster supporters in our network, um, and they were, and, we, and we're two
2: of them, by the way. Like, I think a lot well, of the no, critis- we are, we are. A, a lot of the, like he can get carte blanche for a lot of the the things that he's done because of his resume. Like he earns right. he earns ultimate respect for what he's
1: done. I just wonder, and again, this is not from inside information, but I just wonder if it's just fatigue uh, at this point, like fatigue. You know, in terms of you know physical and you know, I mean, again, new family. Uh, he's been at this. I mean, he's been the head coach of this team. He's the second longest tenured coach in the league i mean he's been at this since 2008 and and not just that but the emotional fatigue of those four years of the big three and then dating back to 1996 like he's been going hard at this for uh, 23 years working for a man who's you know again I, treats a lot of his employees very well okay pat riley has that reputation but is not an easy person to work for because he of the the expectations the demands that he puts on you from that regard I mean, it's, it's like Eric's worked for this organization for 23 years. It's got to feel like 230. So I just, I just wonder when you take that and then you combine it with being given this poopoo platter of a roster. Right. And I, you know, I don't just mean that in the Chinese way. Okay. I mean that, you know, quite literally, like, what do you do with it? And, and again, you look at the final numbers, you know, four guys tied for free for the most free throw attempts on the team and it's nothing. You know your four best perimeter players all shoot between 41.2 and 43.3 percent from the floor. You you have duplication at center. You have you had duplication all year until they clear out for tax purposes at two guard. Like I, I wonder if he didn't play Ellington. Ellington's numbers were bad early in the year, but I wonder if he didn't play him much because he knew he was going to be gone anyway. So why develop continuity with Ellington? Like if you're if he if you're going to be getting rid of him, there were a lot of cross currents. This was not an easy job. Okay, and so I say there are more explanations than excuses. But we've got to be honest, if you're elite, and I believe he's elite still, I do. But if you're elite, you know, you you, you had to get this team ahead of Orlando at, at least, okay? Like, at least. I mean, that's not a good roster. The Magic roster is not a good roster. Like, it's just not. Like, Lucevic is not... A superstar. Aaron Gordon is not a superstar. They don't have depth, okay? They, they're they playing Michael Carter-Williams. Like, it's not a good roster. And you miss the playoffs against that in part because you couldn't beat them. And then Detroit, also not a good roster. Like, they have a star, yes, okay, sort of a second-level star. But, like, Wayne Ellington went there and starts... <laughs> Yeah. Okay. You couldn't get on. So I think you look at that. I mean, and Brooklyn, I mean, is, is they're developing, but I mean, what do they have? Jared Allen's a nice big, and they've got Mm -hmm. three good perimeter players. D'Angelo Russell had a breakout year, but I mean, these are not the types of teams that we've been talking about. Yeah. I mean, you
2: look at the teams above them that are in Orlando, Detroit, Brooklyn, and even Charlotte finishes above them in, uh, in the standings on tiebreaker. I mean, Miami has at least a talent-level commensurate with that. To finish bottom of that, I mean, these are all things that get decided in the margins. Injuries, uh, but also coaching is one of them. And to, for the Heat to have fallen, and, and this is really the closing note, the closing note is, how's it possible that this team didn't make the playoffs? Like, I if we said before the year that they finished sixth, in, in in the Eastern playoffs, you're like, yeah, that's probably about right based off the group. And, and we were looking at the year going, well, how are they going to finish below brooklyn in india uh, you know uh detroit um and and orlando and charlotte like you're better than that and no you're not you are those teams you are those right. teams and it's just it, it, it's stunning to me the variety of ways in which we've gotten there
1: well and again i go back to guys in the network you know early in the year when they lost to charlotte oh they'll be ahead of charlotte you know they lost you know fighting you about you know whether their roster was better than orlando or not and what you said very early in the year and we will close with this you said without Eric Spolster, they're Orlando. Well, they had Eric Spolster and they weren't as good as Orlando. Yeah. Uh, and, and that, that sums up the year. And so look, I, I, what I hope for his sake is that he gets refreshed, you know, cause uh, you know, he's, he's not making the playoffs this year. You know, Dwayne's gone. You can reset. Maybe the organization clears somebody out for him. And yeah, it, it, it's,
2: it's going to have to be roster change for this to really change. I,
1: I, I, I think so. And look, I, I I'm sympathetic to it. Like it, it's not, it can't be easy. And, I hope that something is refreshed here for him because I want to see him coach at an elite level again, which I've seen him do. And I, like I said, I thought he kind of figured things out as the year went on, but here's the thing. You and I and Nikias, and Christian Hernandez and Giancarlo Navis, and the other people, especially Giancarlo, uh, the, the other people in our network, like I think we have some smart people, but we should not be identifying things before they do. And yeah. the reality of this season is that we pretty much called all of it. Like, you know, Justice should be a point guard. Bam should be starting. Derek Jones Jr. should be playing ahead of Magruder. James Johnson shouldn't be playing much. Don't try to force Dion in. Okay, play Dwayne with the kids because they'll learn something from him particularly down the stretch. Josh Richardson is not a lead guy. Okay. Justice is more of an alpha. Just search the five reasons sports tweets. Okay. And not just me, the is smarter than I am. And he detailed all this with film. I don't know why I don't understand it. They are like Brian Windhorst said, they are a state of the art organization ahead of the curve and it is felt this year. And I don't, maybe we'll find out what was really going on inside, but it's felt like they've been tugging at each other to such a degree and half stepping to such a degree that they were behind the curve on everything. And maybe if they're ahead of the curve, maybe if justice is forced in a point guard earlier, they make the playoffs. Maybe if Alinek is playing instead of being sat in January, they make the playoffs. Maybe if Derek Jones Jr. is getting some of Rodney Magruder's minutes early in the season, they make the playoffs. There are not, I mean, you're only, like you said, it's two or three games against bad teams and it didn't happen. And that's, um, that's frustrating. And this comes from, a, I want to finish with this. because maybe our, well, we'll probably do a post a pod about Riley's press conference. This comes from a place of love, Chris, okay? (laughs) The organization has done incredible things for this market. Like, when I talk about the Dolphins, it does not come from a place of love. It comes from a place of, oh, my God, okay? Marlins, I'm giving them a break now. Derek Jeter doesn't deserve the booze he got on the screen, by the way, the other day. He was the only one who got booed at Wade's thing, and I felt bad because I think he's trying. I do, okay? But, like, this comes from a place of love. This organization has been good to all of us as professionals, as, uh, you know, as fans, okay, as just people on the street. It's been, and to the community in terms of the work it does. It's incredible. For the development of sports in this city. The development of sports. It's unbelievable what they've accomplished. We just want it to be better than it's been. And, and you know, a lot, we, we didn't give out a lot of A's today. I mean, I think we were probably kind. We could have given out. Worse grades
2: and also and also living up to their own standard these are standards that they set for themselves they they call themselves a championship organization and and ahead of the curve and all these things and everything that they've done in the last three years has been behind the curve They're, they're they're not they're not just sort of i mean they're you know, they make all the mistakes that we kind of mocked others for making for settling for mediocrity, for locking yourselves into contracts that limit your flexibility. Like all the things that we've made fun of other teams for doing. They've then gone and done. Yeah. And that's, I think that's the place to close here. So hopefully it's better. Justice better. <laughs> <laughs>
3: that's
2: the <place> to <laughs> Don't make me play the song again. <laughs>
0: Thank you for listening to
3: the Fire in the Pocket. Thank you so much.
4: You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from.